I'm Billy Liggett. I'm Sarah Harden. And this rhymes with orange. Sometimes we invite guests on our podcast not to talk about new programs or research here at Campbell, but simply because they have a great story to tell. And today is an example of that. Tara Wilson is a 1989 graduate of Campbell School of Business who went on to receive her law degree from California Western School of Law and her master's from Webster University. For years, she served as an assistant district attorney and opened a pro law firm focusing on small business practice before launching her own jewelry business in 2007. Tara was recently a guest speaker at President J. Bradley Creed's uh, speaking tour last fall, and she's with us here today to talk about Campbell, life, and everything in between. Welcome to our podcast, Tara Wilson. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So first off, I understand you're a native of California, or you're from California. We'd like to know what in the world got you to Campbell University. My mother's family is actually from Durham. My mom and dad met at Duke and went to California for work. My aunt came to Campbell in the 70s, so my grandmother was a big fan of Campbell University and spent a lot of time in Durham and visiting the campus here when I was little. So... You didn't come here totally unaware of Campbell. You knew that you knew what Campbell was and that what that it existed and everything like that. So, what part of California were you from? I was from Orange County. Okay, so that leads into the next thing: is is there had to be a little bit of a culture shock? I guess we're talking nineteen eighties. Um, first off, California in the eighties looked incredible <laughs> the the style back then but you come you come from there all the way to the east coast to uh rural um Bowie's Creek North Carolina um how was that for, as an an adjustment for you it was an adjustment that's for sure i grew up uh, riding my bike to the beach and really enjoying the lifestyle there it was a fantastic place to grow up so there was a little bit of a culture shock especially not having a car landing in Bowie's Creek surrounded by beautiful farmland um, my uncle Other was a big farmer in Apex, so I had spent time on his farm when I was little and had a little familiarity and really enjoyed it once I got used to my new normal. So I talked to our director of annual giving, Tammy Fries, um, who uh, got you on our show today, and we'll talk about why later, but uh, she she told us that... Uh, um, your grandmother actually left you a, a hefty lump sum of money to be able to go to college. Uh, uh, what's the story behind that? I was very fortunate, and the timing was good. My grandmother had just decided to give both myself and my cousin, her other grandchild, $20,000 to have for our education. I was about to leave for Campbell University. He had just been born. So, oh. <laughs> so his was invested and mine was spent. Right. But it actually paid for all four years of my tuition and board. That's a lot of uh, forward thinking on her part. Was that always her intention or was it uh, kind of a sudden, oh, here, I have this? Um, it was her intention. She saw the need. She really thought education was important. She had to leave school in seventh grade. So she did not get the opportunity to continue her education, and she was a self-educated, incredibly bright woman, and she really thought education was important. You've been away from Campbell for a while after you graduated, and I know um, you, you came back to live in North Carolina recently, which again we'll talk about a little bit further down, but um, talk about 
the Campbell you see today compared to the Campbell of the 1980s? Because I don't know how many of our uh, current students, I know none of them <laughs> will know what it was like then, but uh, I imagine there are a lot of people from your classes that uh, see it as being night and day uh, the way the campus is today. There's definitely a wow factor when you drive on campus now. The campus was always really beautiful, well-maintained, and a lovely place to be. But now there are so many more facilities and so much growth in the options for schools and concentrations of study. It's really impressive to graduates that go way back like I do. Any rules back then that that you look back on and, and say, I can't believe... These were, I mean, I know that we were known as a very conservative school back then, maybe still are a little bit today, but uh, anything stick out to you as far as the rules back then? There are a couple that really kind of crack me up. We could not wear shorts to the dining hall. To the dining hall? To the dining hall. Absolutely no athletic wear was allowed except for athletes, which were very few and far between, and no shorts. And some of our professors didn't allow us to wear skirt or pants in their classrooms. We had to wear skirts, and they had to be knee length. Well, I, I, I can't find the reason. I, I Maybe I understand in the classroom a level of attire, decorum, or whatever, but I, I don't understand the, the reasoning for the shorts rule in the cafeteria. Was there a reason for that? or no, I don't remember ever being <laughs> given a reason, but you only had 30 minutes to eat, so you better show up dressed. Well, you, said, you said on our <laughs> way up here today that you never ate in the cafeteria anyway. <laughs> no, but you had to go to find out what was going on. Pre-social media, that's all there was. Mark, dinner at Marshbanks to find out who was doing what and what activities were being held on campus. So... You uh, you major in business here at Campbell, and uh, I understand you got your business degree. Um, again, talking beforehand with Tammy, I understand uh, not a knock on our school here, but I understand your first venture out into the real world with your business degree didn't go so well. Tell I us actually that story. worked for the Home Depot, okay. and it was a great company to work for, but it was a tough company to be a woman at. There weren't very many of us other than a few cashiers. There were very few of us in management. So it was 100 hours a week, seven days a week, tough kind of job. So it didn't take me long to figure out that that path in retail was not my future. What did you do at the Home Depot? I was an associate store manager. Wow. So I was I was running stores for them. And uh, I understand Dr. Masashari, who's actually who's still here, um, uh, he helped you kind of regain your footing. Uh, what, what was the thought process that led from that to eventually want to go to law school? Well, I ended up at Home Depot quite by accident. I had a job in fashion retail, which was my first love. And in 1989, companies were having a really tough time, and the company I worked for was sold, so my job evaporated in the buying offices. So I had to quickly regroup. I needed a job right after graduation, and Home Depot was this up-and-coming, amazing company, but I knew nothing about it, didn't know how to make my resume fit, and he sat me down and really walked me through the process and mentored me in interviewing for what was typically known as a man's job and prepping my resume to take all the the fashion out and put the management in i can't imagine i can't imagine the atmosphere back then so when you say it was a tough industry for a woman any examples any memories that particularly stick out to you as far as uh uh you can believe you had to go through that um there were a few 
I think one of the things that was really tough is going into a management meeting and having comments about your figure that were pretty rude and crude. And but accepted back then. But accepted <laughs> right. and, you know, got, the, got a laugh in the room. And, you know, the first few times it happened, I thought, oh, this is, this is uncomfortable and what do I do? And I finally decided I had to draw a, a line in the sand and let everyone knew, know where I stood. So the next time it happened, I fired the person on the spot, had wow. security walk them out, pay them in the vault, and walk them out of the store. So you had subordinates that were talking like that. <laughs> I had peers that were talking okay, like that. Okay, but you had them. Okay, and thought, subordinates. Okay, <laughs> wow, wow. So to see how far that's come in in the short, well, I guess a long time, relatively, but to see how far that's come in the past twenty years, uh, um, that's got to make you pretty happy to see that that's becoming less and less and less tolerated. It days. is, and I will tell you that Arthur Blank and Bernie Marcus uh, were absolutely amazing and wanting those cultural changes in their company. The first time I fired somebody for that, the uh, main line rang, and I was paged to pick up line 401, which we knew was the home office calling, and I picked it up, and they thanked me for terminating the employee. And I really thought I was getting a phone call to thank me for my service and right. say bye. <laughs> right. Okay, so... You get through your 20s, <laughs> and then uh, you're in your early 30s, and I understand you have a young child, and suddenly you think, I want to try law school. Um, doing that, I guess, in your 30s is one thing, but doing it when you've started a family and you're going to take on all that responsibility with the responsibility you already have, that couldn't have been easy. No, it wasn't easy, and, and the original plan was to go to law school before having a, a child. Uh, I ended up married and had this beautiful little girl, and sadly, the marriage didn't last, and I found myself to be the sole breadwinner with no support whatsoever, and uh, knew that I couldn't go back to retail easily with a baby. She was five months old. So I went back to graduate school to get my affairs in order, so to speak, and to make some good grades and to show that academically I could go to any graduate school that I wanted to. So I reapplied to law school because I had stepped away to get married and got in. And with my two-year-old daughter and a lot of willpower, we just made it happen and, and got through. And my family was incredibly wonderful and supportive. Why, uh, why law school, and um, why? Uh, what did you want to do with your law degree, and what did you end up doing with your, your law degree? I originally had read the book We the People by Caroline Kennedy, basically about the Bill of Rights, and it really struck a chord with me, and I saw that there were so many people that needed help on every side of every issue, and that I thought that I could be one of those people to affect change in areas that needed change. And that it gave me flexibility to do creative thinking and interesting projects and was a, a, a career path that I didn't think I would be bored with, that there was plenty of room to move and change and grow. And that was really attractive to me. You went on to become a uh, assistant district district attorney. Yes. I'm having trouble with that word. <laughs> and then opened up your law firm. So it sounds, uh, talk about uh, that experience. It sounds like um, you made the right choice. I really was uh, focusing on employment law. I wanted to sort of get back into the other side of retail by working on employment law. And I had done a fantastic inter 
internship for the Department of Defense doing employment law for them and really loved it. And as I was interviewing with firms, everyone said, oh, that's great. Come back when you have some experience, as every first-year attorney hears. So I heard about this job at the district attorney's office and knew I would get lots of experience because they were understaffed and you'd be underpaid and they needed a lot of work from you. So I threw my hat in the ring. I got the job and tried my first case two hours after being sworn in. The uh, It's interesting when you said you wanted to go back, you, want, you wanted to practice law and focus on businesses, and then what you were saying earlier about what you had to experience in the boardrooms and, and things like that, uh, to be on the other side of it. Um, did you handle any cases, any any harassment cases or anything like that, or was it a totally different uh, area of law? I did. Um, there were quite a few harassment cases, um, everything from workers' comp, injuries, uh, bad hiring practices where people felt they should have gotten a promotion that perhaps they didn't get. So it was a broad range of issues that I worked on. You feel like having that experience in your 20s made you a better lawyer? Definitely. I think it it... it gave me the insight of not only how you can resolve a, a lawsuit or a case that involves an employer, but how you can make them a better employer. Sometimes it's just simply having a good employee handbook. <laughs> I know I'm going to jump pretty far ahead, but uh, I, we only have so much time here. Um, so through your, through your law career, you take the, the next logical step that all lawyers take, and that's starting your own jewelry business in 2007. <laughs> uh, and I saw it online. It, I uh, I saw your website. Um, I was uh, I was impressed with it. So what what made you what made you do that? I mean, was that just a lifelong love that you decided to finally put into a business, or was it more spur of the moment than that? A little bit of both. I spent every hour I could possibly spend here in the fine arts building while I was at Campbell University. If I could have figured out how to get a paycheck with an art degree, I would have done that. So it was That's always, hard to do. <laughs> it, it was always just a natural something that I did a lot. And, and the sad truth is, in 2007, I was doing small business law. I was doing small business as corporations, employee handbooks, and anything a business owner needed to get up and running. And my phone stopped ringing. That was a really tough economic time, and I didn't want to do business divorces. Those were incredibly unpleasant. Right. So I needed a, a positive distraction while my phone wasn't ringing, and I started making jewelry, and it quite accidentally turned into a business. And is it something, uh, you started that in California, I understand, is that something that you're still doing today? Yes, I've been very fortunate. I've been picked up and published in some national magazines. My jewelry is carried at White Trash and Accessories in Fayetteville and a few other stores, which is always fantastic to have a place for things to go when I'm busy tinkering in my studio. Here's your chance to promote your site, and <laughs> and if any, if you want people to uh, to check it out, wherever they go, Lulu Max Jewelry on Instagram is the best overview of what I do and what I enjoy. And it's L U L U M A X. Correct. Okay. Well, um, we're going to ask you to stick around. Uh, we're going to have Tammy Freeze with our annual giving department on uh, in just a few minutes, and we're going to ask you to stick around for that conversation as well, because there's another reason you're here with us today, but um, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we always, um, the whole reason behind this show was we think everybody has a story. Um, yours is a little more interesting than others, so <laughs> we're very grateful that you decided to join us today, and uh, yeah, that was a, a quick 14 minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Thank you again, Tara, for joining us today. Um, we're going to do a little bit differently than we do in the past, and that our guest is going to stick around for the last few minutes of the show because uh, she's joined by Tammy Freeze, our director of annual giving. Uh, works down the hall from me. Tammy, uh, welcome to your debut to Rhymes with Orange. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. So uh, you you set this up today to have Tara on our show. It's because uh, we've got a big event coming up. Uh, first week of February going on during Founders Week. So tell us about the first Campbell Giving Day. Yes, so Campbell Giving Day is a day driven by teamwork and social media, where we ask members of the Campbell community, such as our alumni, our faculty, staff, students, and friends of the university, to give a gift to Campbell. And then we want them to share that on social media, that they've given a gift and why they give, and then lead others to do so. And it's on a Wednesday, so we also want people to wear orange. It's very similar to uh, the days we've had during Founders Week in the past, but uh, a little more emphasis on the giving, and uh, that's why you have Tara with us today. Tell us, uh, uh, Tara, tell us about your participation in, in this year's Giving Day. Well, I'm going to be heading up the YAS Challenge. you got to say it right, though. YAS. YAS. Y-A-S? Y-A-S-S. Oh, okay. Yeah. Extra. Okay. So, <laughs> so I have committed and pledged to donate $1,000, and we're looking for 50 gifts from young alumni, seniors, or students, and that will unlock my $1,000. So 50 doesn't sound like a huge thing, but Tammy, this is your job, and, and you can tell us more than anybody that young alumni aren't programmed to give. Why is that? <laughs> yes, um, some are, some not. Well, you know, when you, you first graduate and you're trying to, you know, getting that first job um, and the student loans student student loan, loan student starts loan. kicking in, right, they're thinking, well, what in the world? Why, why is Campbell University asking me? Um, but it is very important and to realize that um, just like Tara's story of how someone gave to her that allowed her to get her education, we have alumni and friends of the university that do that every day. And, and yes, while our students pay tuition, um, if we did not have the support from our alumni and donors, we wouldn't have... Um, we wouldn't have the scholarships that we have that we are able to give out and help our students. We wouldn't have the facilities that we have. We wouldn't have the ability to um, to provide some of the programs. And so that's why it's so important. And if we can get our young alumni to to realize that and so they can give back. And what we encourage people uh, is that they can give any amount they want to give and they can give it to any area of the university that we just want you to give. Tara, explain your mindset. Um, you're... Uh, uh, not all, I say I joked about, about the young alumni, but not all alumni give. I know there are statistics out there about the percentage of alumni who give, and we won't get into that, but um, a lot of people choose to give because of the experience they had at Campbell or because what they felt like Campbell did for them. Uh, what's your personal reason for getting involved like this? 
I think if we don't get involved as alumni and encourage others to give and give what we can ourselves, I, I don't think it matters if it's a $5 gift or a $500 gift. I think they're all important. But for me, the mission of Campbell, leading with purpose, and being a small private university, I fear that they will no longer exist without continued support from alumni. That's a very good answer. So uh, Campbell Giving Day, um, we're going to go over this again. It's February 7th. That is the Wednesday of Giving Week or of uh, Founders, Founders Week. Week. And um, all day thing, you're going to ask people to make a gift, post that they made a give, gift on social media. Um, does that that enters them into t-shirt drawings or anything like that. <laughs> or if you say t-shirts, yeah. that might <laughs> anything for right. a t-shirt. Yeah. That's right. If I could, if I could buy t-shirts for everyone, that would be the thing. <laughs> but yes, we want to make this the biggest day ever, giving day ever. Our big goal is 250 donors in one day. If uh, if we hit that, then we'll have a, a large gift of uh, $25,000 that will go to our Campbell Leads campaign. Uh, and then Tara, if we, we get those 50 gifts from young alumni, seniors, students um, will select one of them and they will get to say where that $1,000 goes. So we just hope everybody will participate. That's awesome. I know the uh, the big initiative right now for the Campbell Leads program is scholarships first and foremost, but also the new student union. And if you're unfamiliar with this building, um, you'll be learning a lot more about it this spring with a groundbreaking coming up. This is going to be a very, very important uh, addition to Campbell University, socially, um, uh, beyond socially. Just uh, it, it's going to be a very impressive building. Uh, I got some of the um, behind-the-scenes plans I got to look at last week, and the more I see from this building, the more I'm excited about it. So um, that's another big reason for this campaign. So good luck, Tammy, uh, heading into next month. And thank, thank you again, you. Tara. Um, we're very appreciative of what you do for Campbell, but also thank you very much for being on our show today and uh, um, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Rhymes with Orange is a product of Campbell University's Office of Communications and Marketing. Vice President for Advancement is Dr. Britt Davis and Assistant Vice President for Communications and Marketing is Haven Hoddle. Uh, Director of Visual Identity is Jonathan Bronson. Director of Web Design is Nikki Zaywall. Rhymes with Orange is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Harden our Director of Marketing, and I am Director of Publications, Billy Liggett. Uh, thank you so much for, be, for listening. I was going to say being with us today, but you really aren't <laughs> for listening today. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back with another fascinating story next Wednesday. Until next time. Go Camels! Camels.